if you would please pray with me. God of grace and mercy, God who is full of purpose, who offers us many purposes and who incorporates us into all kinds of um, strange, beautiful, and extraordinary missions, we ask you to meet us here today, to show us who we are, to show us who you are, to help us to be not afraid of your face and not afraid of your words, but embracing of all that might come to us. And if ever the words of our mouth or the meditations of our hearts or the movement of our bodies and souls might be not how you would guide us, we ask that you would do what you always do, what you have always done, and give us a second chance the next day to find you, to find love, and to find our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So all this month, um, we are considering, in our sermon series, considering together as a church the role of meaning in our lives and how we might cultivate meaning. We've been guided in a couple of ways by that. One is that um, it's a question that we hear a lot, right? How do I find meaning? How do I make meaning? How do I think about meaning in my life? Um, The other is that one of my co-pastors, Brittany Isaac at Edgewater, we have four sites here at Urban Village, um, read a book that really moved her um, and saw a TED Talk that really moved her by Emily Esfahani Smith called The Power of Meaning who has done all of this study and looked at all of this psychological research and finally come to the conclusion that something we are doing as a culture um, is pursuing happiness really aggressively. Moments of um, uh, gratification or moments of contentment, moments of satisfaction, and yet all of it is somehow making us unhappier than we were when we started. Um, The freedom to pursue happiness that we have been given uh, in really an unprecedented way in the modern world is making us depressed and anxious and not making us happy. And that question confused her, and so she looked to see uh, what does actually provide long-term sense of fulfillment, long-term sense of joy. And the answer was not happiness, but meaning. Turns out when you're seeking meaning is when you sort of accidentally find happiness along the way. And what does it mean to seek meaning? Um, She said she found four pillars of meaning in our lives. The first is belonging. Last week we talked about belonging, and that's up on the podcast and um, on the website if you want to look at the four different sermons we have about it. A sense of belonging in the world, which means to um, know yourself and others to be validated and, and good intrinsically for who you are, not for what you do. The second that we're going to talk about today is purpose. And purpose um, we can think of as the why that drives you forward, right? Some sense of uh, ongoing why that you carry with you in your heart and in your life, a reason that you have. Um, And particularly, this is important, purpose is something um, that drives you to contribute to the larger thing and not just to yourself. So purpose. And then the other two that we're going to do in the next two weeks are storytelling and transcendence. But today is purpose. Today is purpose. And uh, purpose, I know that a lot of you are going to be excited about because I have lived in this culture for a long time. And there's a reason that The Purpose Driven Life is one of the best-selling Christian books of all time besides the Bible. And there's a reason that if you Google purpose or what is my purpose or how do I find my purpose, you will find page after page after page of people trying to monetize the solution to that problem, right? The six-question quiz that'll help you determine your purpose. 
the one book that'll help you determine your purpose, the one video clip that'll help you find your purpose. These are, I mean, everywhere, everywhere. And so we can sense the craving in our culture for people to find this unifying sense of purpose for their life. And some of the stuff out there is not bad, right? There are questions that are helpful for you finding your purpose, like, what am I good at? What has borne fruit in my life? What, what things, when I do them, do other people say, hey, you're good at that? <laughs> what are some needs in the world, right? Like, those are good questions to answer. What are things that make me cry? What are things that make me feel joy? Those will help you find your purpose. Um, but I think all of this uh, one true answer stuff has led us a little bit astray. And it's led us a little bit astray in two ways. Um, the first is that we live in a really work-addicted culture, a really work-obsessed culture that sees work as the primary source of our worth. And so many of us have been fooled into believing that um, we only have a purpose if our purpose is what makes our rent money, right? If we found some unity between the way we make sure that we get to eat and the way that we live out purpose in our everyday life. And a lot of folks are, come to see themselves as somehow failing if their job isn't their purpose. Um, but for most of us in the end, I, I feel lucky in this arena, right? My job and my purpose are intimately connected, but for most human beings, your job and your purpose aren't gonna be the same thing. And, and constantly hoping that they will be and feeling like you failed if they're not is a recipe for personal dissatisfaction. Um, your work is not who you are. <laughs> for many of us, we will find our purpose uh, in the relationships that we cultivate outside of work hours, whether it's the mentorships or the love, um, or for some of us, right, our purpose is hospitality and care in the world. It's the potlucks you hold Friday night. Um, for some of us, it's the art that you are called to make because you believe your purpose is to put a little more beauty into the world, to ask a few more provocative questions. Many, many people are living out purpose in ways that are not connected to how they make sure they stay alive, right? And many of us, for reasons of either disability or structurally bad economies, are not employed at all. And that does not mean that our lives are devoid of purpose. So I wanna put that out there, that this sort of idea of your one true purpose, the one sentence you find that is the key that unlocks all the things, misses out on a lot of the ways that purpose actually makes itself known in us. That the why that drives us forward can actually be a part of us. So don't. Um, you're lucky if those are the same, and I'm glad for you, but they don't have to be. They don't have to be. And the second reason that I think that can drive us a little bit astray is that it gives us the sense that if we found our one true purpose, that would remain true for the rest of our lives. That we've unlocked not just one lock, but every lock. Right, with one, my purpose is to be a doctor. Done, full stop, right, like it's over. My purpose is to uh, help cats not get stuck on the, out on the streets, right, and make sure that they're all adopted in people's homes. Done, that's my thing for the rest of my life. But we can see, both from our own experience and especially from the life of Moses, which we're also gonna be in intensely all this month, the life of Moses, the rich, prophetic, complicated life of Moses, that that is just not at all how it works. <laughs> it's just not at all how it works. Um, I made fun of Moses a little bit last week, and I'll make fun of Moses again, that uh, after having years of identity crisis, 
over his cultural identity, over what he's supposed to be doing, over who he's supposed to be. Moses has this moment that many of us crave desperately that we see here in Exodus 3, this moment where God literally appears to him with an undeniable miracle and says, here's the point, right? Like, here's the thing you're supposed to do. Here's the place you're supposed to go. Here's what you're supposed to do once you get there. So many of us, right? Like, it would be the answer to all of our prayers to have that moment. And you'd think it would be the answer to Moses's, given the way that he's behaved for the previous 40 years. But instead, his reaction is like, mm, I don't know, <laughs> right? Uh, I'm not sure that that fits my personality. I'm not sure I have time for that, like going to another country. He's very resistant. Um, and even if, so I think, first of all, a lot of us would actually feel that way if God gave us our one true purpose, and it's good to know that about ourselves. Um, I, I make fun of Moses about it, but I think it's a deeply human response, right? That we think that we crave this sense of purpose, but actually it would terrify us. But the other thing about it is that once Moses is given that purpose, which on the face of it seems really specific, it seems really concrete, right? You are to go to Egypt, you are to free the Israelite people who have been oppressed and enslaved and bring them out to the land of milk and honey, and I have told you exactly geographically where it is. You'd think that would be straightforward, right? It sounds pretty concrete and simple, but even once Moses knows that level of specificity about his purpose, which most of us will never know, right? Most of us will never have it be that clear or that um, uh, concrete, he really still has no idea what he's in for, right? Think about how many things, even within that one sentence, are going to surprise him. <laughs> he doesn't know about the plagues. He doesn't know about the Red Sea. He really, really does not know about the 40 years in the desert. <laughs> he doesn't know that he doesn't make it to the land of milk and honey. He doesn't know about the ways in which his brother will betray him. He doesn't know about the ways in which he will start to find all of his fellow compatriots on this journey so annoying, right? He has no idea what will actually make up the substance and the content of his life, even though he has a very directed and concrete sense of purpose. And that's going to be true for all of us. Even if we are a part of the human community that gets a very strong sense of purpose, which can be a real gift, that doesn't mean you know what the rest of your life is going to be like. <laughs> You're still going to have to be someone who is responsive to life's changes. You're still going to have to be someone who is creative and who is attentive and who's trying to listen to the voice of God and the voice of your conscience and the voice of your neighbors as you carry out whatever you believe your purpose to be. Knowing your purpose doesn't exempt you then from every other life decision for forever. You will be surprised. You will probably be shocked because that's how it has worked for every single child of God for all of human history and forever. <laughs> and I know that um, because that's what happened to me. <laughs> Purpose is really personal, so I'm going to get personal today and let you know a little bit about my purpose story. Um, and then we're going to look at, I think there are two, two really helpful moments in this story for thinking about our purpose um, and how we find our purpose in God. One is the burning bush moment. Because for some of us, that is how purpose presents itself. A fire burning in our hearts, a really clear directive, right, a something. And then there's the moment when Moses sees the burning bush. And that's for all you folks who are thinking to yourself right now, I've never had that moment, right? I don't know what my one sentence is, so we're going to get there. Don't worry. But first, I want to talk about burning bush moments and what they do and don't provide for us. Um, 
because that has been my personal experience of purpose and of call. Uh, many of you know I was not raised religious. I converted to Christianity when I was a teenager um, after a long and winding journey of things. Um, and before that, I thought my goal career-wise was to be uh, an actress or a Supreme Court justice. Those are the top two. Maybe a biologist, right? I had like a long list. Um, literally from third grade on, picture of Thurgood Marshall, picture of Lu Lucille Ball. Those were my heroes. <laughs> If I had found some way to combine their lives, that would have been my ideal. Um, God had other plans for me. Um, and, and I, even more than wanting those things, I had a strong sense that I would not have to choose for a long time. Right? I just had a strong sense that like, I wanted to go to a college where I could study multiple things. I wanted to like, try stuff out, see what was up there of my generation, I'm probably gonna change my career like eight times, you know, that, that I had this sort of sense of freedom in that. And then when I was 17 years old, I had in the throes of conversion and loving Jesus and wanting my life to be different and wanting the world to be different, um, after high school moved to the Mississippi Delta in the United States and was in a really rich, close time in my relationship with God. Like most of us, um, over the decades, even though my conviction of God's presence and love and reality is always there, what the relationship feels like changes all the time. <laughs> what my prayer life is like changes all the time. Sometimes it is a running river. Sometimes it is a deep, consistent sea. Sometimes it feels like a desert where I don't know what's going on. I mean, all of those things are true. But this was a time when it really felt like God was moving in and around me all the time. Almost every worship service I would go to, I would cry, regardless of what was happening, right? I was just sort of like a well of uh, raw spiritual emotion. And um, during that time, I went back to visit my home church. And I was going to a pretty like charismatic church at that time that I loved, and I loved that style of worship. And I went back to the first church I had ever gone to, which was not particularly charismatic or Pentecostal in its orientation. Uh, sermons had footnotes, right, that one could sort of follow, quotes of theologians. Um, if anyone had lifted their hands during the song, no one would have gotten mad at them, but they would have definitely assumed, like, are you trying to lift something? You know, <laughs> like, what's happening here? It was just not the style. It was a sort of staid, um, brain-focused, mind-focused kind of worship. And I was sitting there um, with the people who had loved me and shaped me and with people who I cared about and some new strangers who had started coming since the last time I'd been there. And the pastor's sermon was on call. And I, I know you do this, so now you never have to be embarrassed to tell me. Um, I was doing the thing you do with some sermons, which is where like some parts I was paying really good attention and other parts I was thinking about my grocery list. And I was like in and out a little bit. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, um, I saw a picture of myself, an image of myself, at the altar in a robe, and I heard a voice that wasn't mine say, you're going to be a minister. Um, and that's an unusual kind of God experience for me. That doesn't happen to me all the time. <laughs> and um, in the immediate aftermath, I felt like it was both the most real thing that had ever happened to me. I mean, I just, I just didn't have doubt about it for a second. It was just an extraordinary, the most extraordinary one minute of my life. <laughs> um, and 
because I knew hardly any ministers and because that had never happened to me before, I was also uh, a little bit concerned, right? I was like, should I be checking myself into a place? Like, is it like, what's really going on here? Um, have I just tricked myself? Am I trying to make myself think that I'm really important? Like, is that even how God works? And I was uh, flipping out. And so I drove immediately from that worship service to the house of one of the very few adult Christians I knew. Most of my Christian relationships were um, folks my age who I had met in youth group who were all wonderful, but who I sort of felt like, do they have the capacity to guide me through this thing? I really don't know. Um, but my, my history teacher from high school had always been open about the fact that he was Christian, and I had a good relationship with him, and so I just drove to his house and was like, this thing happened, what do I do? Um, and he gave me probably one of the best pieces of advice that I'd, I have ever gotten to this day. Because um, what was really of concern to me in that moment was I was like, God just told me to do a thing. I have to go do it now. Like, do I start a church today? Do I, like, start the website then in the next half hour? I don't know how to do it. I'm 17 years old, right? Um, but God just told me to do a thing. And he said, you shall know it by its fruits. You shall know all things by their fruits, right? This is the guidance of the scripture. And he said to me, it sounds to me like you just had a really incredible experience with God where God just gave you a really big gift, but you can also take some time to figure it out, <laughs> right? And he said, you can go research how you become a minister. Like, do, are there schools? Are there processes? You can go get an internship or a job at a church, and then you can think, does this make me happy? And you can ask the people around you, am I any good at this? And if the answer keeps on being yes over time, that'll be the fruits that show you that this call was real and you're supposed to be a minister. And if the answer keeps being no, right, like you're really unhappy or people think you can't do this or it just feels like a bad fit, then you'll know that something else was happening this morning and you can kind of figure it out then. And it just liberated me. I mean, it was just so freeing to sort of feel like God can really have done this miraculous thing that is unprecedented in my life and... I can use all of the other tools I've learned from life to figure it out. <laughs> it's not one or the other. It's, I don't have to pick. Um, and I would give that to you. If you're a person who's had a burning bush moment, whether it was a burning bush moment of God placing an image or a word in your heart, or if it was the kind of burning bush moment where you just from birth have known, I got to dance, right? Or I have to help people in this way. If it's that burning bush of your heart or your soul or your mind, I would offer to you that very rarely are those kinds of purposes 100% or 0%. Very rarely are they either or. They're almost always some kind of mix that we discern over time with testing and a loving community that tells us whether there is fruit there. And the other thing I learned from that experience was that I, like Moses, sort of thought that after I had this incredible experience, every question of my life had been answered, right? Like, I know what I'm supposed to do. That seems like a really big deal. But then it turned out um, every single moment of my life then has been a surprise. Knowing that I was supposed to be a minister didn't actually tell me where I was supposed to live or how I was supposed to live or what kinds of churches I was supposed to pastor or how I was supposed to try and get that education or um, what kind of human being I wanted to be in the world. It, it, most of the questions that we ask about our life, having a sense of purpose did not answer for me. <laughs> it was simply something that I had to answer with. 
And that's something that I would offer to you. The, the purpose is really important to find. It's important to find a sense of purpose in your life. Um, I, don't, I don't want to free us from that. But that is not the only question to be asking. <laughs> you have to combine it with other questions of how and in what way and for how long. For many of us, our purpose will be a winding road that will change throughout time. And you have to be attentive to that. And that's where the second part of living a purposeful life comes in. Um, most of us remember from this story, even if our contact with the scriptures is like one Charlton Heston movie that one time, um, we remember the burning bush because it's memorable. <laughs> but there's another really critical part of this story for figuring out how you live your life with purpose that we tend to skip over. So you may not even have noticed it. So I want to bring back the first panel of Exodus 3. Yes, so um, Moses, right, as we talked about, he's had all these identity crises. He's like moved from country to country. He's biracial. He's murdered someone. Like a lot of things have happened to Moses and he's dealing with a lot. But finally, for the last like 15 to 20 years, he has had a good life. He has built what looks like a good life. He has a wife, he has a kid, he has a father-in-law, he has a place where he herds sheep and protects them, right? He has a sense of purpose in his life. He's doing good things. No one could object to the life that Moses is living. Um, and it would be very easy for him to just keep living it and ignore all other messages and inputs, right? I figured out my thing, I'm good. I've been doing my thing for a while, leave me alone. But it says, not just that there was a burning bush, not just that there was a bush that was blazing and yet not consumed. It says, then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. It's not just that it distracts him or compels him. He makes a decision to be attentive to the new wondrous and strange things that are happening around him and to try and figure them out. He makes a decision. He has an awareness. He is attentive and intentional about his life. And so he looks at the bush. Looks at the bush. And then it says, when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him, Moses, Moses. Something about Moses' choice to look is what identifies him to God as truly the prophet that God intended him to be. It's not just about who Moses is, it's about Moses' ability to turn, to turn and be attentive to new and incredible things. And that's where I think, say you don't have a mission statement for your life, right? Say you don't have the one sentence that is your purpose, the one job that is your purpose. I think living a life with purpose is still attainable and necessary for all of us, and this is how you do it. How you live with purpose, even if you don't only have one purpose, is through remaining attentive to the world and intentional about the things that you do and say, right? Purpose, in the end, is some sense of direction, some sense of movement, and it's not possible unless we are living life intentionally rather than just being drawn along by the latest distraction or reactiveness or thing that has come our way. Moses chooses to purposefully turn towards something new and strange that might shock him, and that is when he is given a new purpose for a new phase of his life. You can live purposefully, even if that doesn't mean just one thing. 
And most of us, I'll say, could use a really big dose of additional purpose in our life. Our lives are really geared towards um, distraction, reaction, and um, uh, a commitment to whatever we've already been doing without thinking about what new things God might offer us. We become so obsessed with filling out the task list or cleaning up the dishes or figuring out the latest Tinder match, like whatever has sort of presented itself into our life that rarely do we purposefully seek to contribute to the world and purposefully seek to notice and respond to its wonders. So yeah, there was a burning bush for Moses. And for some of you, there's going to be a burning bush moment where you feel like there is something you have to do. But for lots of you, there won't be. And that doesn't mean that you are freed from living life with purpose. <laughs> God's purposes are present all around us. Your purposes are present all around us. And they can be seen in who you are and the gifts that you particularly have and have been made to be and the way that you can live in the world with them. The thing that is true about each one of you, whether you know what you're doing in the next five minutes or not, is that no one like you has ever existed before this moment and no one ever will again. God has made you with purpose, on purpose. God made you with a particular set of gifts, with particular eyes that see a particular part of the world that no one else experiences, that no one else feels, that no one else knows the way that you do. God has made you specifically with capacities that others don't have. And there's a reason that you're here. There may in fact be a lot of reasons that you're here and not just one <laughs> that you have to stick to. Living a life with purpose means being attentive to the ways in which we can contribute to a world that is both full of oppression and challenge and difficulty and full of wonders and flames <laughs> and choosing to notice them and choosing to respond to them with the fullness of who we are. Many of you had fun this last week um, taking Emily Esfahani Smith's quiz, what is the pillar of meaning that means the most to me, right, of this belonging, purpose, transcendence, storytelling. And if you haven't, it's still all over all of our internets and you can take it and it's fun. Um, but there's another quiz that we want to offer that we had in the E! News on Friday. It's going to be on the Facebook tomorrow. I can give you a link if you want. We have hard copies, but that requires adding up a bunch of points over 80 questions, and I don't think any of you want to do that yourselves, although you're welcome to. That's your jam. Um, that is a spiritual gifts assessment that many of you took during your starting point class, but that I encourage all of you to consider taking. A spiritual gifts assessment that says, it asks you a lot of questions about what you like, about what other people say about you, um, about how you experience the world, and it'll help you to identify what are some of the things that I know how to do that I don't even think about because I know how to do them. <laughs> We're often really ignorant of our own gifts and our own ability to contribute because the things that we are gifted in, because they come easily to us, seem natural rather than things that other people can't do as well as we can, right? It just seems like how people are instead of how we are. And so I'd really encourage you to take this assessment to think to yourself, what are some of my gifts? What are some of the things that I put into the world that I am not even noticing? And how can I be more intentional and purposeful about using those gifts to contribute to those around me? 
uh, you will get a personalized PDF. Someone has created an automated system within UVC that tells you not only a little bit about each of those gifts, but about what kinds of church ministries and world activities might match some of those gifts. Um, as I always say, computers aren't in charge of you. So if you get something back where you're like, ooh, that really doesn't sound like me, that's fine. That's how it works, right? Like, no things by their fruits. But I'd really encourage you to take it to think about what would it mean to live my life with more purpose than I'm living it today? Not to become addicted to this one question of what is the one true purpose and I can't really do anything or be anything or feel anything until I find it. That question can be more of a distraction than a help. <laughs> but how can I begin to live with more purpose than I live with today? With more intention than I live with today? With more sense of why? Why am I here? What do I want to do? How do I want to contribute than I do today? Because if you do, I think you will find meaning and satisfaction that you have never found before. But also, if you do, I think you will change the world. <laughs> because there's a reason that God made you. There's a reason that we need you. Your community needs you. Your church needs you. Your neighborhood needs you. We need you to know that you specifically are valuable and have something to offer. And we're waiting for you to offer it. You can live your life with purpose. You are a person who has been made with purpose, for purpose, and you can offer it into the world. And for that, I am grateful. And I hope we can learn to be grateful together. Amen? Amen. Amen.